Applying data to people decisions isn't new. Michael Lewis's 2003 book, Moneyball, and the 2011 film that followed, put a big spotlight on strategic statistical analysis. The book and the movie focused on how a professional baseball team with a relatively small budget could compete with teams with a budget three times bigger. In the world of HR, such data is having an equally big impact, even if Hollywood isn't making movies about it. I'm Julie Jars. Here with us today to talk about analytics and its impact on business is Phil Wilburn, Workday's head of people analytics and insights. Welcome, Phil. Thanks, Julie, for having me. So, Phil, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at Workday? What does it mean to be the head of people analytics and insights? Great question, Julie. And first of all, thanks for having me on your podcast series. So, as you said, I'm Phil Wilburn, and I've been at Workday for about two and a half years and leading the people analytics and insights function for the last year. And essentially what that is, as the head of people analytics, is I lead a small but mighty team of technologists, analysts, and data scientists. We take data and look at insights to solve our toughest people problems here at Workday. In addition to that, we make suggestions, nudges to our people leaders and to our stakeholders on strategies they can take in order to improve our overall people outcomes. So I know that belonging and diversity are hot topics in the analytics space right now. And I actually recently read that 47% of companies on the S&P 500 index have a chief diversity officer or its equivalent. So how is Workday thinking about belonging and diversity? And what are you doing on your team to support this? This past year, we launched a, a new forward-thinking uh, DNI strategy here at Workday. The impact for us in our analytics team is we really had to reinvent the way we are looking at diversity and think about creating new data sets and new ways and data sources to analyze that from a fresh perspective. Let me double-click a little bit. So our chief diversity officer, Karen Taylor, this year she set a progressive strategy for Workday, which we call VIBE which is valuing inclusion, belonging, and equity for all. She's pushing us, Workday, and a lot of our peers to really go beyond the traditional focus of, of DNI space, which is really exciting, but also requires us tackling new challenges. So really, our team's role in this DNI perspective or belonging and diversity is first to measure and then provide insights around topics like how are we creating an environment where all workmates feel valued, respected, and included? ensuring that all of us feel safe and integral part of the Workday's community and that everyone has an equal opportunity to succeed, advance, and excel. And as you can imagine, and I'm sure many of our listeners who are also working in organizations who are dealing with this topic, it's really tricky to unpack and measure how do you know when people feel respected, valued, and included? That is a really tough issue. And then how do we ensure everybody has equal opportunities? You really need to look at your data differently and approach it differently in order to get to those answers. So let's dig a little deeper on the topic. Can you give me an example of how exactly you're looking at belonging and inclusion? So when we talk about belonging, what we mean by that is that everyone feels safe and personally feels like an integral part of Workday's community. And to get to this, we had to do something tricky. We needed to measure the underlying psychological construct of connectedness. We worked in partnership with Great Place to Work Institute to create what we call the Belonging Index. And the Belonging Index is really a subset of six questions from our weekly Pulse survey that measures the extent to which people feel like they belong here at Workday. Now, what do we do with that? It's great we have it now that we're measuring it, but 
<laughs> what the heck do you do with this, right? So every quarter, we cycle through our employee experience questions using Workday Survey so that we know by the end of every quarter to the extent to which each one of our workmates feel like they belong here at Workday. We then look at the extent to which different groups have a consistent experience. So we look across gender, geography, generation, U.S. ethnicity, and management level. We know, for example, that across generations, the sense of belonging is consistent. That means those who are starting their first ever job with Workday and those who are retiring at Workday have a very similar consistency regardless of the generation. When we look at management level, we actually find something pretty interesting. We find that our individual contributors rate the highest on the belonging index, then it's our VP population, then it's our managers, and last, it is our directors our directors feel a little bit squeezed in the middle. They're not at the VP strategy level, so they're not creating the strategy. At the same time, they're kind of player coaches. They're in the weeds. They're trying to get things done, right? And so they feel squeezed there in the middle. And in fact, because we know this data and the extent to which we belong, we actually created a leadership program called Horizon, which is targeted to our high-performing directors to help them feel included and feel like they belong and up-level their performance here at Workday. So, Phil, where else have you used the belonging index at Workday? Great question, Julie. You know, what's really interesting is with this focus on belonging, we also have to take actions around belonging. So this year, to boost the sense of belonging for our key stakeholders, at Workday this past June, we held a global event called Vibe Week, where we sponsored 160 events over the course of five days in all of our major locations with the goal of having a company-wide conversation about inclusion, belonging, and equity. Every one of our executive committee members participated, and we had 3,200 workmates do this. And here's the great thing about the Belonging Index is that since we get this data every quarter, and then we had Vibe Week happen, we can measure the extent to which those people who participate in the Vibe Week, if that intervention actually improved their sense of belonging. Right. And what we found when we look at a, a pre and post measurement is that those people who attended the Vibe Week had a 6% increase in their sense of belonging, Interesting. which is pretty impactful if you think about trying to impact the sense of belonging from an organizational standpoint. And this is what you can do when you have this kind of granular, detailed data about how people feel like they're included or belonged in the workplace. Yeah. So you've given some good examples. Do you have any other issues that were surfaced because of people analytics data and maybe an example of the conversations that got started based on those insights that you discovered? Our work over the last year has really covered a full range of topics and questions that either we've asked or stakeholders asked. So this could be somewhere from executive insights on performance to employee experience trending over time to M&A integration. So let me just give you a spattering of some specific examples that we went through. So let's start with manager training, a very hot, fun topic that everybody likes to talk about. For example, is the investment we're making in management training actually having an impact? And should we continue to invest in that? We have a three and a half day manager simulation called Ignite. This is for new managers who join us or new managers who have been promoted. And we ask that all managers attend this. This really teaches the essentials about what does it mean to manage at Workday. And the question always comes is, does it matter? Is this making a difference? What we've been able to discover is that when a manager attends Ignite, and then leaves, we track the employee experience of the teams that they lead. Mm. 
And what we find consistently over and over again, that those managers who do attend Ignite, their teams have about a 20% increase in employee experience than the teams of managers who don't attend Ignite. It's a big impact. That is a big impact. Now, let me be clear, since I'm an analytics person, correlation does not mean causation. Right. Right. But it's pretty clear signal for our stakeholders that say, hey, those managers who are attending Ignite, their teams are having a much higher experience. And we see this in every geography and every function. So we can clearly say this is having an impact in our manager population. Interesting. So that's one example. Here's another example. So let's talk about manager coaching. This is, this is a really tricky example. Is going through the coaching program actually helping our managers? Also, it? <laughs> <laughs> it's also a good question, yes. right? And so from an analytics uh, standpoint, what you want to do is look at those people who are going through coaching, who were invited through coaching, and who didn't go or who weren't invited to coaching, and see whether or not their individual personal experience improves. We do care about a manager experience, but we really care about the impact a manager has on his or her team. And so when we look at this and when we looked at our own support here, what we found is that there was no difference between a manager who was invited and intended coaching and the team's experience versus a manager who was invited but it didn't attend coaching. When we were thinking about our investment in coaching, we're like, hey, doesn't really seem to make a difference. Our managers will improve slightly over the time period. The coaching doesn't seem to make an intervention. However, if you want to dig a little deeper, because we asked a lot of questions here, we looked at what's the dosage. So if you went to two hours of coaching, three hours of coaching, four hours of coaching, what's the dosage? And we found this magic number that if our managers went through nine plus hours of coaching, their experience actually improved higher than a control group. And so the question was, is coaching or not working? And it's hard to tease out. It's like, yes, but... It has to be nine plus hours. That means the manager and the coach has to be committed that long. And so it changes the way we communicate about manager coaching, and it changes the way that we think about contracting with our vendors from that perspective. So you need to dig deeper into the data sometimes to get the true answer that you're yeah, there's not that you're looking for, but that you you know that you need to make decisions. Absolutely. I think you need to create space for for yourself and for your team to ask deeper level questions. Right because then you can make more impact through those questions, right? So can I give you another one? Yes. Please. All right, I'll give you another example. It's fun. So our work also affects the, the, the policies or the way we think about uh, where people work. Like, do people work from a remote location, an office, or our home base? And one of the questions that came up is, are our home-based workmates, are they having a similar experience to those who come into the Workday office every single day? And the assumption was that, hey, our Workday office has a lot of cool things, right? We have a great community, first of all. You have a great snack area. Everybody loves food. <laughs> you know, in some places, there's a cafe. There's fun team events to do in the office. But when we actually looked at it, it, it surprised us. So on average, our home-based workmates were actually and are actually having an overall employee experience that's higher, about 8% better compared to those people who come to the office every single day. And what was also surprising is that over the four quarters in which we are looking at this specifically, it improved over each four quarter. That means whatever we were doing to support our home-based workmates was actually working because they were having a great experience. 
And enjoying not commuting. And enjoying not commuting. <laughs> now, I, I've been given some pushback on this topic. And, and for our listeners who may be going down the same logic are probably saying, yeah, but are they as productive as the ones who come into the office? So the great thing is we have performance data. And so when we control for performance, so we look at high performers who go into the office versus high performers who work from home, we essentially find no difference. So that means our workmates who work from home have a higher employee experience and they're just as productive or even higher performing than our workmates who are going to the office. So it's really, when you dig into the data, you get to see these pretty clearly and it has impacted the way we think about our policies and our thoughts around our home-based employees. Interesting. Can you discuss Workday's best place to work survey and the types of insights surfaced by that data? Two and a half years ago, we launched what we call our best Workday survey on Feedback Fridays. It's available to all of Workday employees via our Workday Human Capital Management System via Workday Survey. And we partnered with A Great Place to Work to use many of their questions in this survey. It's a quick weekly survey comprised of two or three questions. And the data that we take from that survey is used to uncover hidden patterns and anomalies across workplace sentiment. The survey consists of about 34 questions from the Great Place to Work database. We rotate through these questions. Sometimes we do experimental questions. It's really trying to understand the overall experience of our workmates. And then every single quarter, we summarize that data. We share it with our people leaders and we share it with our managers. And then that really sets the tone for a manager having a conversation with their team saying, you gave me this feedback this quarter. Here are some of the things I'm going to work on. Here's how I'm going to improve over, over a time period. So I know our team in Dublin, Ireland, relied heavily on the insights gleaned from this data to make important changes in that office. Can you expand on that a little bit? So this started in the late summer, early fall of last year. I was getting ready to travel to Dublin to do a, a succession discussion with their senior leaders. And it was something that I was doing with different offices around the world. And before going over there, I thought, hey, let me open up my data discovery board in Prism and take a look at the employee experience data and see how Dublin is doing. I know they'd been going through hyper growth. They'd been growing more in Dublin than we were here in the U.S., which was saying a lot. And so I wanted to say, how are they doing? And what I saw at the moment, kind of right as I was getting ready for my trip, surprised me. What I saw is a trend, not a positive trend, when it came to employee sentiment and employee experience. And so I kind of paused at that moment. I opened my laptop. I shot a quick email over to the HR manager over there and the leadership team, because I know they had been looking at this closely. And I captured some screenshots of the data discovery data, look at these trends. I got on my flight, and then on my flight from San Francisco to Dublin, I created this slideshow that was basically, we are not going to be focused on succession. We're going to be thinking about the employee experience as we scale here in Dublin. So I sat down. I came in. You arrive in the morning, and I go straight into the office, and I come straight in the leadership team meeting, and they're like, oh, we're talking about succession. And we're like, nope, we're not. We're going to be talking about employee experience. And what was really interesting about this data is that, first of all, they were starting to see growing pains, and the data showed that it was starting to impact the employee experience. But we really identified it very specifically to perceptions that high-potential women engineers had on questions related to promotions. 
So they were less favorable than their male colleagues. And that was certainly surprising a bit for that group. First of all, that we can get that specific. Right. And, and second of all, that we can point to this particular perception gap. At the time, just for reference, the promotion rate was equal when it comes to men and women in Dublin. So it wasn't a promotion gap perspective. It was actually perceptions that is happening during this hypergrowth. So they took this data and they're like, wow, this is something we really need to action. We really need to think through. And they took this data, the leadership team, and they created what they called a leader's day, which is where they bring every single manager. At this time, it was last Thanksgiving. Every single manager during Thanksgiving with this data to talk about how do we how do we address the issues that we're seeing around employee experience and in sentiment and specifically around this gap that we're seeing, this promotion perspective gap? And they took this data and they went out and they created these teams to go out and action various perspectives. For example, they did things like learning sessions for people leaders on providing feedback when considering promotions. They reinforced the promotion guidelines and practices. They renewed their commitment to ensure role opportunities were broadly communicated. They took a number of actions. What is most interesting, I think, about this story from a people analytics perspective is we can track that data over time. So now we have the data. So they went and took this actions from this insight. The next quarter, they get the data. They look at it. And what they found was also surprising. They dramatically shrunk the gap of perception between men and women on these particular items. And sentiment went up 6 to 8% at that time. So this is like the holy grail of data. You see something come up. You say, wow, we saw something. We should action it. What should we do? Right. And then do something. We take action on it. And then you see the results of that action. And it just so happened that last year, the the Dublin team was voted as the great place to work, number one for great place to work for women. So this speaks to the importance of clean, clear, actionable people data. And that if you take action on it, you can see results at the end. It's a great example. Thank you. Uh, So in your work, Phil, you've discovered a relationship between giving feedback and employee retention, which I think is really interesting. Can you explain that connection? Yeah, this is also very exciting work. Uh, Why do I think it's exciting work is that the traditional view of retention analysis has been largely focused on what I would call human capital factors, such as skills, promotion, compensation, supervisory org. However, this kind of research that we did is really using what I would call a social capital lens to retention analysis. Essentially, this idea that not only does your skills impact whether or not you want to stay in an organization, but your social relationships or your connections impact you. We all know this to be true, but we've largely ignored this from an analytical perspective inside organizations. So we took this kind of social connections data and we put it into our analysis to draw some conclusions from that. So may may I tell you how we did that? Yes, please. (laughs) Of course, you could tell I'm excited about it. So to take this social capital lens, we looked at uh, anytime feedback. So anytime feedback is a great capability that's enabled in Workday. And here inside Workday, we've been loose. There's been no policy about when to give people feedback, when not to give people feedback. You give people feedback when they make a meaningful contribution to you that goes out of the way to help you. And we really use it a lot at Workday. In fact, between November 2013 to this summer, we looked at how many pieces of feedback were given. There were 65,158 pieces of feedback given. That's a lot. 
That is a lot of feedback. About 10,508 workmates have participated overall time in this. On average, each workmate is given about five and a half pieces of feedback, give or receive five and a half pieces of feedback. So now let's go back to the original question. How does this relate to, let's say, career outcomes? When we looked at this data, when we looked at anytime feedback and the other human capital data, what we found is that those people who leave Workday are 50% less integrated into the peer feedback network than those people who stayed. That means that those people who are staying are giving and receiving much more feedback than those people are leaving. All right, so it has a career outcome when it comes to a workmate staying at Workday. The other really interesting finding we found from this data, from the social capital lens, is that our performing with potential workmates give and receive feedback to 44% more people than those people delivering today. So there is this connection the correlation between how much feedback you're giving and receiving and your performance level. So that's really interesting because it's as if our high performers are reaching out and recognizing other people who are helping them, and then they are being recognized for how they're helping other peoples, and that's contributing to their performance. So are we looking for ways to encourage feedback based on that finding? A couple of things on that topic. One of the issues uh, that's relevant to this data and this insight that we found is that we know it takes a long time to ramp up at Workday, and it takes a long time to get your first piece of feedback. For example, we know it takes on average about 145 days before when you start Workday and you get your first piece of peer feedback. And so we actually took this idea as like, hey, it takes a while to ramp up, and it's taken a while for people to get connected and be recognized for their work at Workday. How do we accelerate this? And so working with our leadership and org effectiveness team, they created this program called MatchUp. And what MatchUp does is that they take new workmates who are just joining and they pair them up with veteran workmates who have been here a while to have a conversation about what does it mean to work at Workday? What does it mean to ramp up at Workday? How do I get the resources? How, who do I reach out to? And actually, it's really cool because we use our Workday cloud platform to create what I would call like a serendipitous algorithm where your new workmate and you're saying, hey, I want to find somebody who can help me ramp up. It kind of goes out and smartly pairs you up with a veteran workmate who's most likely to help you up. Helps you feel networked and part of the team. It helps you feel networked, team. part of the team. It helps you understand Workday. And what we're finding in the early pilot phases is that the workmates who are going through this are ramping up much faster. And so we take this insight, we say, hey, what can we do with this? There's a specific program you can do that, and then you track the outcome of that program. Yeah. So that's what we're starting to see from early feedback. Any advice for HR leaders who are just getting started, who want to improve in this area? What are the first steps? For me, I would say there are three things, and maybe I'll throw in a last thing, but I'm going to say three things right now. So first, uh, if you're just getting started or, or if you're going into people analytics, running people analytics or leading part of the HR organization who runs people analytics, number one is you need to understand what your leaders need because they'll tell you what you need. They need this insight or this decision or this piece of data to make it. And that's good. But don't believe that once you deliver the thing that they ask for, they'll be satisfied. Because every time they want something, the business evolves, their needs evolve, things will be changing all of the time. Which leads me to my suggestion number two, is deliver something that they didn't know they needed. 
often as an insights professional or people analytics professional, you're seeing all the data, all the questions are coming to you, and you start to piece together, hey, what if we put this data together and that data together? That would bring something really strategic and insightful nobody has even thought about before. And the third thing is you need to own your data. Um, You need to own your data, own it, own it, own it. And what I mean by that is there are so many players in the space that have data. So employee experience data is probably the most common data. There are a lot of third-party surveys that want to administer your employee experience data. They'll do the analysis. They'll give you some nice dashboards and so forth like that. I think those are great. They can really up the capacity of you, but your business leaders will always ask you for questions that those external vendors can't give you. And if you say, well, that data is anonymous and a third party has it, you'll never be able to answer your leader's questions, right? So you always want to make sure that you're bringing it back to the core, that you can always tie your core transactional data to that. Because if you don't have attribute information, if you don't have headcount information with whatever data you have, you're not going to be able to provide those insights. Can I sneak one yeah, last you one had, in? You had a I know, fourth. I said three, and here's the fourth the one. The bonus. Here's the bonus one. Uh, as this work evolves for people analytics professionals, I would say the field is really becoming what is called an analytics translator position. So more and more, the technology will be doing the work of the pure analytics. And so that means the people analytics teams will become more translators and more insights professionals and less analytics leaders. It will be up to us to really take an idea or a question or issue and say, what is the technology? What is the right method to solve this? And then bring that back to our stakeholders. Well, Phil, this has been such a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today and sharing your perspective. I'm Julie Jars. You've been listening to the Workday Podcast. And if you'd like to hear more, please subscribe. Subscribe.